Samuel Shaib, and I'm documenting my journey from immigrant professional to entrepreneur and highlighting the lessons I have learned from the works of the coaches and mentors who are guiding me. Each week, you will get to hear me share steps I'm taking to build my business, as well as conversations with other successful and like-minded individuals. I bring on these leaders and business owners to tell their stories of success and failure so we can take and apply the lessons they have learned over the years. If you are an internationally trained professional just like me, or an entrepreneur in the early stages of your business, or maybe you are still in your 9 to 5 and probably considering starting your own business and looking for guidance from some of the brightest minds on how to create a lifestyle of freedom, absolute control and fulfillment in life and business, then this is for you. Welcome to the Lead Podcast. This is the League of Icons. Mind your mind. Be your focus and play by a different set of rules. I have with me Jide Benson. Uh, Jide Benson is the, uh, the Chief Executive Officer of Cast PR. I've known Jide for the last couple of years, I'll say almost 10 years, if not more right now. And I view Jide as someone that has come through a lot in his, um, in his journey. And um, I thought Jido would be a good example of an icon to highlight on today's episode. Jido, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Sam. It's a pleasure and I'm humbled. The pleasure is also mine. Um, so Jide, I'll just have you briefly share with us. Um, I'm a Nigerian. I live in Lagos. Um, my parents told me that I was born on the 18th of November. Using street lingo, you can call me a hustler. But um, I'm many things. I run a second generation printing business. And then I run my own public relations company. In between those two, I am professional master of ceremonies. I MC at corporate events and social events. I broadcast on radio part-time and I lecture part-time. So that's a summary of the things that I do. Amazing. You know, just listening to that brief intro that you just gave, GJ, I'm aware of all of these things, but just listening to you again, it's giving me goosebumps. Because I can see, honestly, honest, and this is why I thought you would be um, an excellent guest to have on the show. Just listen to you. It just gives me goosebumps because you're talking and I'm casting my, my mind back to when I first met you in, I think it was uh, 2009 or 10. 2008. 2008, where yeah. I met you for the first time. It was our master's of um, science uh, in uh, media and communication. And, yes. you know, and I'm just casting my mind, my memory back then, uh, far back, I'm listening to you now and I'm trying to compare you with the man of almost uh, 10 years ago, 10 years, I, I don't know for how many years. years that, actually, yeah, 12, 12 years, years, you know, I'm seeing the transformation over the years and I'm hoping that this will be um, an explosive episode where people can actually listen to your story. Now you mentioned that you run a second generation um, printing firm. And when I first met you, this was the part I know about you. Give us a, a brief um, background of this printing press. Fine, yeah. Um, my father was in corporate communications as well. And then when he left um, paid employment, he started his own printing and market marketing services company. As it was then, when you're in secondary school and you're on holiday, once in a while, your dad will ask you to come to the office, to come and do your homework so that you don't stay at home when you're playing or he'll ask you to come and lend a hand. And then um, consciously and unconsciously, I started learning a few things about printing. As I advanced in age, he got me involved in the business. I learned the ropes, I learned the, the technical parts, I learned the business parts. 
And so um, when I was my final year in school, I think it was eight days to my birthday and two weeks to my final exam, my father died. And so I woke up the following morning and I had to carry on with the business. And um, having to fit into a shoe that was bigger than me was a very difficult one. So the business nearly collapsed on my head. But of course, with the support of different people, we came from wherever. God sent helpers. Some of them were family, some of them were friends. I was able to stabilize and carry on with it. I'm still running it. Awesome. So I'm aware at the point we met, um, you were having this, this challenge at the time. And I think if I remember one of our conversations back then, you, you weren't so sure if, you, if it was something you're going to if you're going to continue to run because again, yeah. of, because of the challenges you, that you, yeah. that you mentioned, how old were you at this time when you were, when you were thrusted into entrepreneurship? Um, I was 24. Basically the experience you had prior to that time was the once in a while that you popped into the office to help your dad. Yes, that was it. That was it. Were there any guiding principles sort of that he, he probably shared with you, you know, words of wisdom back then? Oh yeah, there were a lot, but beyond that was that he didn't, he didn't pamper me. While we were at the office, he treated me like a staff, not like a son. So he made me do everything that the other members of staff were doing. And of course, the only thing was that he cautioned me. Uh, yes, and I was, so as I was learning, I was mindful of the fact that I had the higher responsibility than the members of the staff. I'm not just a staff, but I'm the son of the owner. So the things that they decide to be careless about, I'm, I cannot afford to be because it will, in quote, come back to haunt me. Uh, and then, yes, my father, in terms of wisdom, my father had a lot of that. I, I, my father is my number one hero and mentor and role model. It's amazing that you mentioned um, your dad being your, your number one hero. That would just uh, kind of lead me into this next question about who are the people that you would say besides your father that have contributed to, uh, to the growth that you've experienced over the years? Okay, so let me let me say that it changes with like times and seasons. Um, when I was younger, I had a um, different set of role models and mentors than I have now. So but if I have to mention names, and one name that I would mention was a man called Gamale Lenosade. So Gamale Lenosade was um, a neighbor of mine. He was literally six buildings away from where I live. Oh, really? Yes. And my mother always spoke about him so eloquently. So, you know, when you, when you misbehave as a teenager <laughs> and as a parent, and every time they wanted to scold you, they would mention the name of what a man called Gamale Lunosode. And those are people that I'm supposed to see as role models and mentors and what have you. I didn't know who he was. I didn't care about who he was. In fact, at that time, anytime I heard his name, I used to be very angry. Because one again. day I was standing in front of my house and his car drove by. And my mom said, oh, that's the Gamale Lunosode that I'm always talking about. And I said, oh, I didn't see him. As God will have it, a few days later, the car, the same car was passing by. I think at that time he was either chairman or managing director of Dunlop. So I was able to recognize the car because it had the logo of Dunlop on it. On it. So as he drove by, when he drove further a bit, he was held up in traffic. So I ran towards the car just to peep into it to see who was there. And then that was the first picture I had about, I had, I saw of him. And then I realized that it was somebody I had seen in the papers a lot of times. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, so I think the first person was, it would be Gamal Nosade. And thankfully, I had the privilege to meet him a few years before he died. Mm. Uh, I was MC at his 80th birthday. Um, there are also a few other people who I haven't met. Um, some I've also met. Um, I like Patutomi. Um, I appreciate him. There's Ibishu Fekun, 
So Bishop Echo's story is a very interesting one because my father mentored him and then he now mentors me. Mm. Um, there's also Christopher Collade and there's some of my lecturers in, in school at different times. But number one, like I said, is my father. Now, now as you're speaking, it's beginning to give me some, some clarity and context because I'm not sure who, whose quote this was, but he says, you cannot see the picture when you're in the frame. Okay? okay. When you're the person in the picture. Indeed. You cannot see yourself because you are inside the picture. You need somebody else to look, to be Absolutely. looking out and, and be, be able to describe what they see. So because I have been, I've been sitting on the outside and not necessarily, this, this conversation now is giving me perspective and I'm beginning to understand and gain clarity as to why you have become the person you are. Because now I can see that as, as you progressed in life, you had different role models and mentors at different stages mm-hmm. in life. And these are people that we all know. Um, um, these are people that are, you know, what's called elder statesmen in, in Nigeria as of today. And it's amazing how that relationship with these people have, you know, impacted who you have become today. Maybe further down, I'd like for, to have you speak to the importance of having people uh, like role models or mentors in their lives. Now, when we were in school, for some reason, um, I'm not sure if it, was, if it was a skill you had or if it was something you, you discovered at the time when we were in school. You just seem to be that guy that, you know, would always make people laugh. And um, you made you made life easy. I mean, with, with all the stress involved with uh, postgraduate education, and some of us have already were married and had kids. So it will come to class, and then you would you know you came to class, and you made you kind of took the burden and the stress off of us by virtue of how well you you made us laugh. Again, it was part of the evolution of what you now refer to as J.D. Benson. Of course, I've had times when I didn't know who I was. Mm. So it's been a journey of self-discovery. I was, I was a timid and shy child because I was from a broken home. And so that affected me in, I thought at, at some point, I thought it was a crime or it was a taboo to, for people to hear that your parents are not together. Mm. Because I mean, when I was in primary school and when I was in secondary school, I saw parents bring their children to school or come to pick them from school. But for me, it was either my mom was coming or my dad was coming. They were not coming together. So it wasn't something that ever made me happy. That affected me in some way. But of course, as time went on in life, I had to break out of such. Um, and I started to discover myself. I, I'm, I'm ordinarily a very playful person. So as you would imagine, when I was much younger, I would be playful and rough. I was rascally. I would be dirty. And so as I grew older, that became being verbally mischievous let me put it that way being being funny what you refer to as funny um if that's the way you say it so yeah it's a combination of a skill and something i learned and when i started to learn that look i think i have that part of me i started to take note of people who did it for a living i mean we watch a lot of comedy shows when we're growing up local ones and foreign ones so all of those pieced together to help me become in quotes that funny person you talk about and the reason why I, I decided to um, to ask that question is, um, you know, very recently, well, most times I have people ask me this question. I'm not, and the question really is, I, I'm not sure what my purpose in life is. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. And my response a lot of time is, this purpose thing is about what your passions are. Because yep. 
over the years, I've also watched you evolve into becoming a master of ceremonies. And first it was, you know, again, I, I figured this was where this skill started from because through school, you, you were doing a lot of, a little bit of this. And then after we graduated, you started taking that seriously and you gradually evolved and you eventually you started handling uh, and emceeing corporate events for blue chip companies and even government agencies and organizations. And the reason why I asked this question was I wanted to be able to get your thought process of how you evolved and how you became this person that that leveraged this potential or this skill that you had and you, you turned it into an income. Over the years, uh, as you started doing this, what were the opportunities that, you know, that opened up to you as, as a result of this um, skill that you, you leveraged? Let, let me start from the point of the opportunities. The opportunities have been a legion, let me put it that way. And some of them I have not even touched. I've not touched at all. Some of them I have, I have scratched. So what happened was um, about the time I finished youth service, I attended a program at a place called Daystar Christian Center. It was called the Daystar Leadership Academy. So there we thought a lot of we thought a lot of things, um, live um, planning your having a vision and all whatnot. Then I think some sometime after that I stumbled on a book called Positioning. It was written by a marketing communications professional called. I think it was Al Rise and his daughter, or Al Rees, I don't know how it's pronounced. But before then, I had wanted to be a master, I had wanted to be a comedian because I had attended Night of a Thousand Laughs from the very first edition till what? I think Night of a Thousand Laughs must have started around 96 or 97. And I think I attended the first five editions. And I liked the comedians I saw, and I thought I would be like them. I wanted to be like them. I think it's the first comedy show in Nigeria. It was put together by somebody called Opa Williams. Oh, so okay. almost every comedian that you know today that has a name and a hmm. brand have performed at, had performed at Night of a Thousand Laughs at some point. And I really look forward to being part of that one at some point. And then at some point, I realized that, hey, I need to, I, I, I might be need, it might be, important for me to be very good with pidgin english and so looking back now i realized that if i had been adamant i wanted to remain a comedian in the league of speaking pidgin english i'd have fizzled out like smoke yeah. and so that's where the corporate angle came in so from reading the book positioning i found out that i could carve a niche as a corporate mc and then i started to gravitates towards the likes, the likes of Sonny Rabo, a man called Heron Zeku, the late Femi Shegun, um, there was Bisio Latilo, there were a couple of, there was a man called Onwa Ikena Ndaguba, he was a veteran broadcaster, he spoke so well, so I didn't realize that, look, I think I'm more tilted, I should be more tilted to these guys than to comedy, so that was it. And then as we're in school, the opportunity came once. Again, there's the God factor. I must, I must, I must add that. Um, two of our classmates, I don't know if you remember, what's her name now? Vivian. Vivian and Muna okay, were selected from our, yeah, Vivian and Muna were selected from our class to, to serve on a committee that was supposed to organize an event. And when the, when the idea of um, the recommending an MC came up, they mentioned my name and I was not in school on that day. And I got to school the following day and the dean said, oh, you came highly recommended to be the MC. I remember event. this day vividly. I do, I do, I do. You know, so it was over lunch and I said, oh, it will be my pleasure. 
and then the day came and apparently I did well because from that day till now, I mean, I had done events before then. I had done weddings, but I think from that particular point, mm. I really started, doors started to open in the corporate space. And I can say that I've met almost everybody that is worthy of being met. It has taken me outside the shores of the country. It has given me a name, it has given me a platform and all what's not. And, and was, this how, was this how you now um, metamorphose into broadcasting? Was, was this, would you say this was the, one of the, um, the, 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 the fruits, I'll say, of, of um, your foray into, into MCN? Okay, so if you allow me to be a bit um, spiritual and scriptural, no, um, if, you remember, if you remember the story of the parable of the talents, so the person who had five talents used the five talents and he got five more. The person who had two talents used the two talents and he got two more. The person who had one talent buried the talent and that which he had was even taken from him. And a part of that scripture that's, that also says that even he who has not, that which he has will be taken, taken. from him. Mm. I don't know what figure of speech that is in literature. So it means that everybody has something. So yes, as I started to MC, um, and I met people who really encouraged me, who said, have you tried broadcasting? Have you considered broadcasting? And then because of course, again, I have an ear and eye for the media. I mean, I, I listen to radio. I used to listen to radio often and watch TV a lot. I used to see the good sides. I used to see the bad sides. And then broadcasting started becoming an area of interest. And considering that I had finished from the School of Media, I had learned quite a bit about media and how it works. I had met people. And then I went to radio broadcasting school, the FRCN training school in Nikeja. Yeah, I met a lot of people there. And at the end of the program, we had the opportunity to do a one-week internship in the radio station. And then I did that. And then I liked it. And, and that was the end. A year after, yeah. I think it was a year after. So no, let, let, me, let, me, let me get my numbers right now. So I, I mix it up. Years before I went to trade radio school, I had attended a creative careers fair somewhere in Lagos. And I'd met somebody who worked in a radio station. And he said, I like the way you sound. We're about to open another radio station and I'd like to give you a chance. Mm. And so he asked me to come in for an audition. And then I got there and they put me just the way you are now, they put me, they gave me a headphone and they put a mic in front of me. And they said I should speak pidgin English. <laughs> that was when I knew that speaking pidgin English is not easy. <laughs> and I'm not, I, I you laugh about it now, but it was a lot of work. Yeah. He asked me to talk for three minutes nonstop speaking pidgin English and I couldn't get it done. Hmm. The same pidgin English that I speak on the street, your <laughs> bus conductor or the Okada man, or you want to buy something in the shop or your booker. I couldn't speak pidgin English on radio for three minutes nonstop. Hmm. And they halted me and they asked me to listen to myself that I was laughing, I was smiling, and the audience would be able to hear that. So they gave me a second chance and I flunked it. So the person said, okay, maybe this is coming to you suddenly. We'll let you go come back after a few days and do this again. And I went back again and the man said, look, young man, this is not for you. Pigeon is not your thing. So don't struggle with it. 
And then years after I went to radio school and after radio school, I had the first opportunity for internship to be on radio. And then again, that was it. And so while I, was while I was doing my MBA, I met somebody who was a chief executive of a radio station. And the person said, one morning, please, I'd like you to come to my radio station to come and, you know, do some review and analysis of what's happening in the policy. Yeah. I said, okay, I'll think about it. And I think I was second guessing myself and I was avoiding the person. Point, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was avoiding the person. And so one day I got into school and right at the door, it was the person I saw and the person was expecting a feedback. And I said, okay, I'll do it. Okay. And so I got on radio the first day, it was a breakfast, it was newspaper review and analysis. I was paired with somebody else. And I think we did a good job on the first day. On the second day, the person didn't show up. On the third day, the person didn't show up. I was meant to come on alternate days. And so they called me and said, look, this, this person is not showing up again. And we don't know why. Can you please come to fill in for him tomorrow? Yeah. And then I went there and it became an everyday thing. And later they found out that the person had gotten an appointment. And so as I was doing the breakfast show, they said, look, we have a Sunday show that would like you to give a try. And that was it. So yeah, that was what opened the door to radio. It was from having the requisite training and I don't, I don't well, or I was doing well with one of the talents, which was MC and then the radio opportunity came. So that's it. Amazing. Listening to your story reminds me of, um, of how Les Brown, the, the famous uh, motivational speaker, how he got into broadcasting. Um, I think he had just lost his job or something at the point, And um, he was trying to get himself into on the radio and you know he'll tell his mom i'm not sure if it was his mom or somebody would just tell them that hey i'm going to the radio station today just listen i'll be on i'll be on air he hadn't been offered the job you know okay. but he would just go in there hoping that someone will offer him the job and the, the very first yeah. couple of weeks he would go in there to ask to request a place on on air and yeah. i'm not sure who this manager who, who the director whatever the person was would always tell him get out of here we don't there's no, there are no openings but mm. les brown went back every day on this very fateful day, there was this presenter that was that was on air. He was probably getting drunk. I don't know. He had been drinking or something. And um, he had drunk himself to stupor that he could not even hold himself anymore on the program. And then the the manager came around and saw Les Brown hanging around the, the studio and I asked him and said, is this something you can do? And this guy had been preparing for this day because he had gone to the radio station every single day waiting for this opportunity. And that's how he got on the on air. And he has practiced his script and when he got that opportunity, he blew up. It just kind of reminds me of that story and how, um, like you said, fate mixed with preparation and being resolute as to what you wanted to do, you know, all merged together and, and created the, uh, the platform that, that you now eventually had. Okay. Mm -hmm. So moving forward, GD, you eventually went into politics. Now, I'm trying to understand how, how that... <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't go there. <laughs> oh no, because because see, when I first saw that post um, that yeah. you were contesting, and the first thing that crossed my mind was we needed role models in these offices because again, you had been through a lot. You had okay. you had created for yourself. I mean, everything you had you listened to your story now, everything you had set out to do, you had achieved, and and it was to me it became apparent that. We needed people like you, no matter what at what level of governance it, what it may have been. But just tell us, how did that happen? <laughs> okay, yeah, politics. Okay, so I'll say that politics has always been there. It had always been there. I mean, my father was a politician. My my granduncle was a politician in the French Republic. Um, so, I mean, 
at home, some way, somehow, politics has always been part of the discussion. And then sometime in 2011, I went for an event and I was listening to somebody who was um, chairman of a local government. And I was encouraged I was a smart young lad. And I said, ah, hold on, what's happening in my local government? I live and work in Surulere. And I was trying to imagine the quality of leadership that was on at the time in Surulere. And I wasn't happy about it. Then I said, okay, look, I'm going to give this thing a shot. Mm. I'm sure that it's not rocket science. It might not be easy, but I'm sure that given the opportunity, I can do better than whoever is there now. Because I found out who the chairman was. I knew where he lived. Um, roads in my community were bad. And so I found out where he also lived. The roads to his house were also bad. And I saw that this person was buying a new car. The people who were working with him were buying new cars. And so it was very annoying that you had the responsibility to fix the bad roads. You're not fixing them. And you're driving new cars on bad roads that your responsibility mm. to fix. So I, I decided to give it a shot. Of course, I didn't make it. This was 2011. I tried again in 20, I think it was 2017. Still, okay, well, I mean, this time around, I think I did better. I came second in the primaries. Yeah. And so um, after some discussions, I became the vice chairmanship candidate to the person who won the primaries. primaries. We ran and we lost. But I've remained in the political process since then. At least I, I pay attention to what's happening in my environment. I don't leave it for anybody to tell me because all politics is local. I think it was a former US president that said that. If you think about it, where you are now, you are in one, I don't know what you guys call it over there, whether it's a province or a borough or what yeah, have you. Yeah. So there's somebody who has a responsibility for that locale. Mm. So if my local government works, if the next local government works, if the other local government works, our state will ultimately be better and our country will ultimately be better. Absolutely. Everybody lives and works in the local government part-time. But we pay very little attention to what's happening at the local government level. So, I mean, this is a, there's a test that I've administered on people very many times. And half, more than half the time, I find that nine people fail the question. Only one person makes an attempt. I ask people, who is the chairman of your local government? I they would, don't know. I wouldn't even have known. <laughs> I would they have failed it as well. <laughs> but everybody, everybody mentions the governor and the president. You are mm. there. The problems affecting you the most, many of mm. them are problems that uh, under the what the responsibility of your local government chairman. So I think that we should all pay more attention to that. That was what led me into politics. And then I'm still there. I totally agree. Because when I first saw your um, your post about going running for office, I, I immediately I knew that it must have been an issue of leadership and and your desire for wanting to probably create um, a lasting legacy in your community where, where you live. And this is where I find it a bit challenging because we have people in office that don't understand the, the concept of leadership. And, and that's why John Maxwell says that everything rises and falls on, on, on leadership. But I think we flip it the other way around because we feel um, once I'm the leader, I'm supposed to be this way. And the people that, are, that I lead are way down there. And all I do is just dish out, you know, dish out instructions or, or, or whatever they do at that level. And I think with people like you continually trying to contribute your, your little might, we, we would uh, definitely cause the kind of change we're hoping to create in, 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 our, in our nation. 
Um, so GJ, right now you run a PR firm. Uh, can you just tell us how did you evolve into that role? Oh, well, again, I've done PR now for what, about 19 years. Um, again, there's, there's um, the universe conspiring to make the innermost desires of one's heart come into pass. Um, I, I was expelled from the university in, in year 2000. I was, a, I was a student at Lagos State University and I was expelled for exam misconduct in year 2000. I, I almost committed suicide. That's the part that people don't know when they wow. see I hear about the GDVS in law today. So, but I, again, I'm grateful to God for the kind of parents that he gave to me. Um, my parents, even though they were separated, they handled it, the, um, the crisis together. They almost came together because of me. They managed it, uh, they saw it as their burden, their responsibility. So the following year, thankfully, I got back into school. So on Saturday afternoon, I was flipping through the pages of Punch newspaper, and I saw an advert by the Nigeria Institute of Public Relations. And as I read it, I just saw myself as a PR person. Everything that was written about who a PR person is was who my DNA told me I was. Wow. So I cut that page out of the newspaper. A few days later, I went to their secretariat to make inquiries. And this was 2001, but I was still in school then. Then in 2003, I, I enrolled for the exam. I wrote the first set of the, I wrote the first, um, what do you call it, the first diet of the exam. And um, I wrote the second diet later. And then this was before I came for, this was before we met. We did a master's in media and communication. And shortly after that, I got, I got an opportunity. You remember I told you I went for a creative careers fair. Yeah. So one of the people that I met there was a PR company. And just by having a chat with the HR person, she said, look, let me have your CV. We might be able to work together. And then they invited me. I was there for almost a year. And uh, again, during, um, during our MSc, when I was going to do my internship, I did in a PR firm. That was for four months. That was when I first came in contact with the concept of investor relations. And it sounded really nice. It sounded corporate. It had to do with figures and banking and all whatnot. So I was excited about it. And then I got a full job, which I did for about seven months. And then um, I left that. And then I freelanced with a lot of, for a lot of people. I've done a lot of writing for the PR companies and people needing PR services, whether it's a press release or a proposal, a sponsorship proposal, a PR proposal. And I just thought that it was, it was about time I floated my own. I've been quite active in the Nigeria Institute of Public Relations, Lagos State chapter. And then, you know, in all of my journey, the dots were connecting that, look, there are opportunities here. You might as well float your own. And then I registered a company, what, years ago. I did almost nothing with it. And then the beginning of this year, an opportunity came. Somebody had just gotten into an organization and was looking for a PR person. And then the person reached out to me and I said, hey, we can give this a shot. And then they invited us for a pitch. And we pitched alongside three other big PR agencies and we won. Amazing. And we were happy. We did the projects and, you know, they were, they were pleased with our pitch and they gave us the opportunity. And so, yeah, I registered a second agency and we're oh, up wow. and running. Oh, no, no. I mean, the, the first PR company had always existed, just registered and nothing happened okay. with it. And but middle of this year, I was, I was ready I had been thinking about it to so have a second line agency. It's called CAST, C-A-S-T. 
which is communications, advisory, strategy, and training. And training. So every, everything within that framework, communications, advisory, communication strategy, and communications training. I want to be able to give people perspective. I mean, this is GDA from 10 years ago, and you've you know shared your journey over the years, um, the ups, the downs, the challenges, the triumphs, the opportunities, how you took um, took advantage of them, even though you were not sure what they might lead out to, to be. And, and, and I hope that as people have listened to you, they can begin to see that this whole question about what is my purpose? What is my, what should I be doing in my life? Um, should I quit my job? Should I start a business? It's, they all don't provide answers to you uh, on the surface. You always have to dig deeper and, and follow your, you still do emceeing on the side, right? Oh, very. No, I don't do it on the side. I do it as a main. As a okay. main. Okay, it's, as a main. It's on the main menu. It's just, it's just because of the lockdown, you know, there's been a oh, lull in the yeah. events industry yeah. and all that. Yeah. So that's why we're doing a lot more PR services now. Okay. I'm sure that okay. I, I hope and pray that COVID will go with it so we can go back to our old normal because this new normal is not something I'm enjoying at all. <laughs> it's we, not favorite. We, the the, the main cause. It's not. It's not. Yeah, so um, I would say that earning, working as an MC, working as an MC, sorry, um, earning from that is less stressful because I'm doing what I absolutely enjoy. I'm playing, I'm having fun. Yeah. Um, public relations requires a lot more thinking and strategy, strategy. and what have you. So in terms of figures, I won't say that I've earned much as an MC this year. Okay. Because we've, we've been on lockdown since... Um, since um march march yes yeah so yeah i think i think i think i did just two events before we locked down and since then till now i think i've done only another two i did one during as the lockdown started to ease out so that's it and 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 the reason why i ask that question really is also again i it's to give perspective to people to people listening um because you said with, with with your mc and you're doing what you absolutely love so you're doing you're doing it without stress. It comes natural yeah. to you. And, and this is where it, it, the, going back to the question of what my purpose is or what potentials do I have? Because yeah. I always tend to let people understand that it's, it's an easy way to arrive at that answer is to first ask yourself, what, what are the things you have passion for? What, what are you passionate yeah. about? What, how could you turn that into adding value to people? And, and how could that uh, you know, potentially generate revenue? And that's why I asked that question. And, and I wanted you to clarify that for those that are listening. Now, Jide, for those that are listening and wanting to venture into what you currently do, what advice would you have for them? Also, as for, okay, I'll take it in bits. So first of all, just do it, as Nike says. Um, your first attempt is not going to be excellent. So if you're waiting to be excellent, you may never get started. Um, in other areas of my life, I've, I've procrastinated and in doing that, I've held myself back. So if it's about using your skills, they are yours anyway, so you might as well use them. So one of the things that annoys us as a people is when you see somebody that is doing something that you know you can do or you can do better. <laughs> so that person has been bold or has acted boldly. Mm. And so that's what has stood that person out. So the world does not celebrate potential. The world celebrates, um, what you call it, um, potentials that are maximized or that, put, that are put into action. I remember growing up seeing Maradona. So imagine if Maradona had continued to say, I can play football and never really got onto the field of play. Mm. So it's like, you know how to drive a car and you, you all, it's like going to driving school to learn how to drive. And then you know how to drive, and then you collect a certificate and say, I know how to drive, but you never really get behind the wheels. wheels. 
So it's about your skills. The first thing is use them. Um, and then find a way to, what do you call it? Harness or hone, sorry, find a way to polish or hone those raw skills. Um, I think it was the same John Maxwell who you mentioned that says talent is not enough. I'm mm. not sure if you anyone that said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so talent is not enough. You must now find a way to put finesse into it. Some people have design skills and they now go to a, a fashion design outfit to go and put some finishing touches to it. So which is what I did. Um, I found out that I love to MC, I love to speak. So I went to training school, um, radio training school. I went to meet, to do a master's in media and communication. Um, I observe people who do these things the way I'd like to do it. And these things have become much easier now with the internet. I mean, YouTube is there. So if you're not watching Teju Babyface, you can be watching David Letterman or yeah. Jim Leno or Steve Harvey or Jide Benson <laughs> or Alibaba or, you know, depending on where you want to play, mm. um, the world is now every, everybody's oyster. I mean, if you Google it on YouTube, I mean, sorry, if you type onto YouTube how to be, how to be good at whatever it is that you want to do, I'm sure that something will definitely come up. Jay, if people wanted to, how will they find you? Yeah, social media. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Babajide, B-A-B-A-J-E-E-D-A-Y. I'm on LinkedIn as Jide Benson. I'm also on um, Facebook as GD Benson. On LinkedIn and Facebook, I'm there as GD Benson. And on Instagram, I'm there as Babajide, B-A-B-A-J-E-D-A-Y. Okay, and how would we find CastPR? CastPR is also on LinkedIn. So to just type CastPRNG, it's on LinkedIn, it's on Instagram, it's on Twitter. Same, uh, CastPRNG. Yes, CastPR underscore NG. CastPR okay. underscore NG on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Twitter. Thank you. Thank you. So guys, we'll have the, we'll have all the links that GD has referred to in the description when the, uh, the show goes live and all the, the names is mentioned, the Alibaba's, the Gamaniel and Losa days, we'll all have all of those links. So you can always um, go back and, you know, see who these people are and how they have influenced GD's journey over the years. Gina, I want to say it's an awesome privilege to have had you, I mean, to have taken almost one hour of your time, if not more. For me, when I was growing up, I, I, ne I never knew anyone that had run a business of their own. So when the idea of becoming an entrepreneur started creeping into my mind, it was, it was scary because I'd never oh. known anyone that had done it besides, mm. um, and I'll, I'd like to mention his name here. His name is um, Utibe Okim. He was the first man I ever knew as an entrepreneur and he gave me the first opportunity to work. And all I know about entrepreneurship in practical terms, I learned from this man and I would watch him do what he did and he did it with so much passion and I wanted to just be like him. You know, and that's how I started. But again, unlike you, you've you've had several people mentor you all through the ages. I, I didn't have until that first opportunity. And even when I started my own foray into entrepreneurship, it was it was a struggle. It was a struggle until I met until I met John Maxwell, and I finally understood what what the missing links were. And and I want to say mm -hmm. a big thank you for for your for sharing your story with us, for being vulnerable enough, you know, to even tell us the the not so good part of, of, of the journey. At least it gives us a better clarity and, and it helps us appreciate who you have become uh, mm -hmm. today. Thank you so much, Didi, for having for, for joining us on the show today. And um, we look forward no, to- I mean, that, that, that's, that's very key. Nobody's entitled to a life without tribulation. Mm. So if you have not, if, if, if there's anybody out there whose story has been what's smooth all the way, the trials are coming. So we're going to have it at different stages and phases of our life. 
Some people is going to be their health. Some people is going to be their finances. Some people is going to be their their career. Mm. Some people is going to be their children. So the challenges will come. It's for us to be able to weather it. Um, as it, I think it was one of those motivational speakers, Robert Shula or something, that says tough times never last, but tough people, people do. And I think that we should, we should, as we grow, particularly in Africa, we should be able to tell the sordid parts as well, so that people don't think that it will always be easy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I watch, I, I worship under Reverend Sam Adeyemi, and he shares his own downtimes effortlessly. Yeah. And so I, I've, I just decided that I'll take a cue from that. When I share my stories, I'll always share the, the negatives as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jide, for, for once again for, for joining us on this, um, today's episode. I'm so, so honored to have you. Thank you. This is the League of Icons. Mind your mind. Feed your focus and play by a different set of rules.